Thanks, Alicia. Great job. Look at judges. Well, how do we, as a society, decide what is right and wrong? How do we make sense of life? How do we work together and function in society? We've asked this question at various times, but we've asked it this week, haven't we, wearing football jerseys? How do we decide what's right and wrong? How do we decide whose version of right is right and whose version of wrong is wrong? And how do we make sense of life? And what is the external right and wrong that we grab a hold of? This, of course, is a biblical question. He didn't know it necessarily at the time, but Pilate asked an important question when he took Jesus aside and said to him, what is truth? Now, I wonder if we were to spend the afternoon uh, going around to our community and talking to people, knocking on doors and saying hello and asking them the question, what is truth? What do you think the community would say? What would we say? I think what we would hear more than anything else is truth is relative. We hear phrases like, follow your heart, or find your own truth, or that's your truth and that's my truth. I suspect they're the types of answers we would hear. We would not hear of an external truth that everybody holds to, but an internal truth through which we see the world through our own eyes. And this has always been the way. In the Old Testament, just as the people of God were getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses, in his great sermon that we call Deuteronomy, said this. Look at what he says, Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. That's 2022 in Sydney, isn't it? Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. No external truth. The truth is inside me and what I perceive to be true. This is the story of the city of Sydney. This is the story of our little corner of the world down here. And this is the story of the book of Judges. Often Judges is the book that is used for all sorts of great Sunday school stories with options for craft. You've heard it before. They're next door doing that right now. (laughs) Ehud, the left-handed man. Deborah, the famous female judge. Gideon with his fleece. Samson with his strength. But you might be surprised to know that each of these are not positive examples for us in the first place. The book of Judges is most likely the Bible's most confronting, scandalous, shocking, strange and upsetting book. Week by week, as we look through it together, you might find passages of the Bible that you think, I do not want that read out in public. You might actually think to yourself as it gets read out here at church, why are we doing this? This is embarrassing. It's shocking, confronting. It will bring forth in us great reactions and perhaps all sorts of questions. The questions you can ask. I want you to ask them. 
A little later on, we're going to have a question time. I'm going to do that throughout this series, and it's important for us to do so because this book is not particularly politically correct to read in the modern era. We've turned it for kids into a book about heroes. But the hero in this book is just one person, and that is God himself. What we see is that the world is a chaotic place, as everybody does as they see fit. But God is a kind, generous, gracious God throughout the whole book. Look at the way the book of Judges ends in Judges 21 Verse 25, the very last verse, echoing what Moses himself said all those years before. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Over the next few weeks we're going to look together at this confronting book. And we're going to see that God brings his salvation to the world, his grace to the world in the midst of chaos. And that's good news for us in a place that is very much similar. To the book of Judges as well. So I'm going to pray and we're going to make a start uh, together this morning. Please have the book open in front of you. It's really important that we look at it together uh, in uh, the words that are there. Uh, remember to ask a question, slido.com and the hashtag is HBSP. And I've also got this time around a book of the series uh, for you that's called Confronting Christianity. It's uh, 12 hard questions for the world's largest religion. It does contain some of the questions that we will have uh, throughout this series, such as, does, doesn't religion cause violence? There's plenty of violence in the book uh, here. Uh, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? That's in there as well. Doesn't Christianity denigrate women and other questions as well? We bought these for 30 bucks, but we got them on special, so you can have one for 23 today. It's a great book to get and then to give away to others as well uh, after you've read it. Let me pray and we'll dive into Judges 1 and 2. Heavenly Father, be with us, please. We ask in this strange and confronting book, please help us to understand what you are saying to us uh, in the book and so to us in this part of the world at this time. Please show us your grace, your patience, your mercy, your kindness and your salvation in the midst of the chaos of life. We ask that you would help us uh, to put aside uh, the events of this week that we might see uh, in our hearts, your word, and take it to heart, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've uh, watched the second-rate Olympics at the moment. We call the Commonwealth Games. But if you want to be a good team, you need to have a good leader, don't you? A good leader. And oftentimes, when you find a sporting team, whether it's the, the Diamonds or the Kangaroos or the Kookaburras or whatever team it is, uh, if you've got a strong leader and then that leader leaves, there's often a leadership vacuum, isn't there? That's what we call that particular thing. A very strong leader can lead to a very strong leadership vacuum afterwards. And we all know that whether it's a, a coach of a sporting team or a CEO of a, uh, an organisation, it can be very hard to follow an extremely successful and an extremely capable and strong leader. The book of Judges starts us asking the question of leadership. You might remember the first five books of the Bible that we call the law or the Torah ends with the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the, the, the great speech where uh, Moses gives the law a second time, that's what Deuteronomy means, Deutero second and nomos law, the second law. He preaches the law to the people on the edge of the promised land. But then at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, who has dominated the first five books of the Bible, humanly speaking, dies in the very last chapter, not able to 
see the promised land after having done so much preparation to get there. And then we turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua is God's answer to the leadership vacuum that Moses has left. Look at the first few verses of the book of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all these people, into the land uh, that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And he goes on to say, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Moses died on the edge of the promised land, but Joshua tells us that Moses is dead, but God has raised up Joshua. And God leads his people into the promised land in the book of Joshua through this faithful servant leader. Now we saw this in our Bible study groups in first term as we studied the book of Joshua together in many ways in preparation for this particular series as well. And as we get to the end of the book of Joshua, we see the same pattern. At the end of the book of Joshua, what happens? Well, he dies as well. So in the book of Judges... We start with a leadership problem. Again, look at Judges chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua. We start exactly the same way as we started the previous book. The people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up for us first against the Canaanites to fight against them? They go and inquire of the Lord. Who's going to be our leader? Who's going to do it? Verse 2 makes the point clear. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hands. Now, we might at first glance read that as a person, but we need to understand it's a tribe, not a person. So right at the beginning of this book, in the book of Judges, we have no leader. And that's a problem right throughout the book of Judges. Judges. In fact, right when we get to the very end of the book of Judges, as we've already seen, we see that Israel had no king and everyone did what they saw fit in their own eyes. That's the problem, the problem of leadership. And what we'll see in the nation of Israel as we go through the book of Judges is this terrible downward spiral of their lives and morality so that they get worse and worse. And the last chapter of the book of Judges, you can read it at home if you want, is disgraceful. And the things that we'll see along the way are horrible. And yet, from time to time, God in his grace will raise up a temporary leader called a judge. Although even they are not the heroes we think them to be. We love Samson, don't we, in his strength. But what a horrible piece of work he was. We'll get to him later on. And so we join the book of Judges with no leader, a rudderless nation, And a promised land as yet unconquered, or at least unfinished. Just as God had said to Joshua in the first three verses of the book of Joshua, that he is to go in and conquer the land of Canaan and take the land for the people of Israel, so the book of Judges starts on the same note, that they must drive out the Canaanites amongst them. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 again. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up for us first against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Drive out the Canaanites and 
to take this land as your own. Now, I do need to just press pause on this sermon for a moment and just take a little tangent for you into a touchy area that the book of Joshua and Judges makes us ask in 2022. If you don't find this little area of driving out the nations a little touchy, then you haven't been reading the papers. Russia invades Ukraine. Everyone gets cranky. That's their land. Don't drive them out. We read Judges. It's in the Bible. How can it be? How can God command such a thing? But it's even a little worse than that, isn't it? Look at this passage in Deuteronomy 20, verse 16. This is what God says through uh, Moses uh, in his law in preparation and going into the promised land. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded that, uh, that they may uh, not teach you to do all uh, their abominable practices that, uh, that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. This is a passage that tells us that they are not only to drive them out, but to destroy them. Are we okay with such a thing? Some say, well, I believe in the Bible, but I also believe that it's 2022 now. We're more enlightened. We understand better now. You might have heard that phrase just this week about those football jerseys. We live in 2022 now. What's the, 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 the sentiment of that phrase? We should know better. Should we know better than what the Bible says? Why can God command that these nations be driven out and destroyed? Well, let's think about this for a moment, just as a small tangent as we begin this Series. First of all, the book of Joshua does tell this story in the first 12 chapters of God's people going in and taking over the land of Canaan. In the rest of the book of Joshua, and then here again at the start of the book of Judges, God's people possess the land. They drive them out so that they can live there. And so what we have in Judges is not quite as bloody and gory as what we have in Joshua. And nevertheless, there is fighting, there is battle, there is war and there is death. And so as people in 2022, naturally, we jump in and we say, I'm going to take the side of the Canaanites. That feels so unfair to me. These innocent people going about their daily lives, being driven out of their homes and made refugees somewhere else. That sounds bad to us. But we need to identify a few things before we go any further. First of all, we know from the Bible that the Canaanites themselves are not garden variety sinners as if that was actually okay anyway. But they're not garden variety sinners. Look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. One writer's put it this way, the conquest of the land of Canaan may not be palatable to us, 
but it is definitely just. These people were horrible. Very sinful. If there was a scale of sin, they would be right at the end of it. The Canaanites were not garden variety sinners. But secondly, we must make this point. Sin, of course, we're told in the book of Romans, pays off with death in this world. That means that when any of us sin in any way, by rights we should have our life cut off at that moment in time. That's the arrangement God has in this world. But, but of course, God is patient more often than not with the vast majority of us, giving us far more uh, amount of days to live in this world than we deserve. And so at any time, in any place of the world, God is never unjust to end the life of any person that has sinned against him, even as much as just once. We need to remember this. We are not the innocent in any of the stories of, uh, of the Bible, human beings. Thirdly, we need to remember this. This is not, by definition, an act of ethnic cleansing. This holy war that we see here in the book of Joshua and Judges is not necessarily based on nationality, but the spiritual danger that these nationalities will bring upon God's people. We've already seen in a number of passages that it's not about the Israelites. It's about the danger that the spiritual practices of the, of the Canaanites would bring on God's people. Not only that, we see in the early part of the book of Joshua that if anybody from the nation of Canaan were to put their trust in the true and living God, like Rahab the prostitute, they would be accepted in. This is not ethnic cleansing. This is the removal of a spiritual danger. So we, we, we need to deal with all of this before we get any further into the book of Judges, for we'll have all sorts of questions about this in our modern world. You might have other questions you'd like to ask uh, a little later on uh, in the question time as well. Which brings us finally, after all of that, uh, to this first chapter of Judges. This leaderless Israel are going to take the final portions of the land of Canaan. And by first reading, and uh, Alicia did so well in reading it this morning, but you might say, lots of names, lots of places. To be honest, I switched off. Too hard to read. can only imagine what people from other nationalities think Helensburg is like. It's got lots of letters it's hard to pronounce. Not even going to bother. I'm just going to go to that place. God said to the people, take the land. And by first reckoning, it seems like everything's going okay, didn't it? There were some significant victories. Verses 4 to 7, where they take Adoni Bezek, literally Lord Bezek. Most, most likely the city was named after the God of Lightning and the king called himself the Lord of Lightning. That's what Adoni Bezek means. He gets caught and he gets his thumbs and his toes cut off. What's more, we're told in verse 7 that he thinks, fair cop, no problem. I've cut off the uh, toes and thumbs of 70 kings who have served under my table, so fair's fair, I've got what I deserved. Funny response, isn't it? But there it is. There's a victory that they win. Not only that, in verses 11 to 15, there's another strange victory. Othniel wins a victory and is gifted, as a result, Caleb's daughter as his wife. Both of these strikers are unusual, don't they? Again, you might want to ask a question about all of that later, but... What we see here is that they are winning the victories. God told them to take the lands, and they did. They did obey. They cooperated with God's plans. 
Sort of. So you might have noticed as you read through, if you didn't find the names and, and towns too hard to work through, that they didn't actually have full victory. Like God promised to them in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. And the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And then in verse 21, But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And then as the chapter goes on, verses 27 to 34 tell us over and over again, Manasseh did not drive out, Ephraim did not drive out, Zebulun did not drive out, Asher did not drive out, and so it goes on. What we read here is that the people of Israel were pretty good, not bad, pretty good. But as we look more closely, we start to see that there are small cracks in the nation of Israel. You see, they're obedient, yes, but up to a point. What did God say to Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3? He said, every part of the land will be yours because I will give it to you. So what's going wrong here? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 2 again. The Lord said to Judah, uh, Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Sibion, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites and likewise, I'll go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went up with him. Seems super innocuous to us, doesn't it? Ah, oh, great, bit of teamwork. Well done, excellent. That's fantastic. But verse 2 says God called on Judah to do it. And Judah said, no, I'll just tweak that a little bit and go and get my smallest tribe brother called Simeon to come and help. And Simeon said, oh, I'll, I'll do a job back for you as well. But this was not what God asked for. Likewise, verse 19 tells us that the people were worried because they had chariots of iron. See, the point that chapter 1 of Judges is making is they had some victories. They had some good times and they were obedient, but only up to a point. Actually, their obedience was half-hearted. Now, they weren't going in the opposite direction and doing something else. They were still doing what God wanted them to do, but just not in the way he asked them to do it. God was ready and willing to give them the land as he promised, but the people were half-hearted in their response. See, this has always been the, the call of God on all of our lives, hasn't it? God doesn't want a compartmentalised heart, a half-hearted obedience towards him. Now, it's pretty clear, isn't it, in this passage? It's not a massive disaster for the people of Israel yet. They're still in the land. They still get the land of milk and honey. They still get to be there and live there and have a new house and that's all fantastic. And they just have to share it with other nations. And no, it's kind of not all that bad. They're not nasty people. They've just got weird spiritual practices. It's good enough. But this is the problem of Judges chapter 1. A leaderless, rudderless nation says good enough to God. What are you saying in your heart to God? Are you giving God your heart or good enough? You might remember that the church in Revelation chapter 3 of Laodicea was neither hot 
nor cold. It wasn't cold and against Christ, but neither was it hot and, and, and full and on, on fire for Christ. No, they were described as being lukewarm, half-hearted, not quite hot, not quite cold. And this can easily be the description of our own hearts, our own lives. Now, it's unlikely that the nation of Israel were keen on completely rejecting God. It's unlikely that the church in Laodicea were completely rejecting God. And it's unlikely that us, we, would completely reject God. But when we let the day-to-day things of life drown out the goodness of God and we only give him a half-hearted response, well, we're no better than these Israelites. Good enough is not good enough when it comes to God. God comes after our hearts. He wants all of us because he has given his son for us. Which brings us to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 of this passage. See, as a reader, we could have been told right from the beginning, Israel disobeyed God because they didn't have a leader, and that's the big point. But we've been taken on a journey, which is why we read the whole section this morning. We've been taken on a, on a journey through chapter 1, and the reader, us, is supposed to say, no, oh, they went okay, that's not too bad. A couple of victories, a couple of losses, it all evens out in the end. But look at what chapter 2 says about that. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, uh, I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I'll say, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of the place Bochum and they sacrificed there to the Lord. The angel of the Lord brings the message of God and the message is this, good enough is disobedience. God says in verse 1 to them, I've saved you from Egypt. I've brought you to this promised land. I made a covenant with you. I agreed with you that this is what we would do. But you haven't obeyed me. And so now these nations are going to be like thorns in your side and it's going to result in danger spiritually that we know from the rest of the pages of the Old Testament will result in the downfall of the nation of Israel. Compromise with God is never the right result. See, it's possible that in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us, life looks successful, where under the surface it's failure towards God. As one writer has said, we look at this passage and we see a people who say to God, I can't obey. I can't do it by myself. I need my brother to help me. I can't do it because they've got chariots of iron. But their I can't obey is actually code for I won't obey. It's a half-hearted faith that we ourselves can share in. We can say in our own lives, I can't obey God because of my circumstances or my past or my present or my future or my family or my psychology or my personality or whatever else it might be. I can't obey God, but what we're saying is I won't obey God. We're just covering it with I can't. This is half-hearted faith. 
And this is where the book of Judges shines a mirror for us up in our face. Because even with the Holy Spirit of God, we still have a half-hearted compromise towards him at various times in our life. I know I do. And so it's important for us as we stop at the book of Judges chapter 1 to hold up that mirror for a moment before we move on and feel that weight of what it means to live a lukewarm or half-hearted faith and to check our hearts and to see whether this is where we're up to at the moment and ask why. And if it is, we need to come back ourselves to our own chapter 2 verse 1, not where we've been brought out of Egypt, but brought out of sin and darkness by the blood of Jesus. But we can't leave by without seeing the hero of this passage. The hero of the book of Judges and frankly the hero of the whole Bible, the gracious, patient In the face of a rudderless, leaderless, faithless nation, God is gracious. Sure, he's going to leave them with severe consequences of this nation who will live in in amongst them and be their eventual downfall. But consider this. God in his grace did not expel the nation of Israel from their promised land. Not only that, he continued to give them small victories along the way. And we saw them, didn't we? Adoni Bezet, Othniel gets a victory. Even in verses 27 to 36, we find the small victories of they didn't drive them out, but they did manage to put the Canaanites under forced labour. They became their slaves. That's a good thing for the people of Israel. God continues to give them small victories. And God is always gracious with his people. And he's gracious with us even when we're half-hearted as well, isn't he? He gives us victories in life. He promises that he will never remove us from our promised land, the promised land of heaven and, and victory with him. He promises that he will never take his spirit away from us. See, this is the great news of the book of Judges. God is a God who never gives up on his people. But God is also a God who never gives in to his people. See, it would be easy at one level, humanly speaking, that God would say, these people are too hard, I'm just going to let them all into heaven. Or, these people are too hard, stuff a lot of them. Both of those responses would be reasonable, wouldn't they? But God never gives up on his people and he never gives in to his people. And that is where we see the story of Jesus meet. In Jesus, we see a God who never gives up and never gives in on his people. He doesn't say, oh, their sin's alright, I'll just let them in. But he doesn't say, oh, their sin's so bad, I'll ignore them forever. No, Jesus is the meeting of the God who doesn't give up and the God who doesn't give in. And this is what we'll see as we work our way through the book of Judges. In 2022, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And yet the God, the hero of the Bible, is still holding out grace to those who are still in darkness And he's holding out grace to us who know the Lord Jesus but often live a half-hearted Christian life. And he continues to hold out grace to both in the person of Jesus. And so if you know and love the Lord Jesus, take the time to check your heart. Find the remedy that comes with focusing on Jesus, the, the, uh, the answer to the problem of life where God never gives up or never gives in to his people. 
And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, then today is the day to find out his grace in the midst of the chaos of life and come to a place that is an anchor for your soul, that is an external point of truth that you can hold on to in a world that says we just do whatever is right in our own eyes. Well, I'm going to take a moment or two just to uh, reflect. It's question time, so take a moment maybe to uh, write a question, think about a question, or take some time to consider, and we'll be back in just a moment to answer a couple of those. couple of questions. Thank you for them. They're, um, they're coming through nicely. All right. First one that is there. How would you respond to the thinking that this invasion by God's people on the Canaanites is no different to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Good question. And uh, I figured there'd be something like this that would come up. The, um, the, the difference is uh, who, who's in charge. Um, God's in charge. That's the most important thing to see. Um, and so uh, where, we, where we just see the effects or the, the, the effects of what's happening, we say, well, these things are equal. But when we see the difference of who's in charge, then, then it changes the way uh, that we uh, are able to, to respond. So, yes, it's probably as, as bloody and nasty as some of those things that have been happening across the world at the moment. Um, but it's God's judgment on the people of Canaan uh, we have no word of what's going on from, uh, from God in this present situation and it's, uh, it's likely that, um, that it's just an act of sin on his part, in, in Vlad's part. If he's watching, good, good to see you, Vlad. Um, take me on if you wish. Um, but that's probably what's going on there, I think. So it's important to remember who's in charge. It's also to remember, important to remember who's in charge of our lives. God's in charge of our lives. Uh, and, uh, and as we said, sin pays off with death so that anyone would get one extra day on it. We need to remember that part, I think. That's an important part of, uh, of, uh, of our, our lives as well. Um, so if, if we were to get any particular word of, of God's uh, will in this area in, in, today, in today's world, uh, well, then we'd, we'd have to take that into account. However, um, the Old Testament is this way. The New Testament is a different way. There's a different war at play in the New Testament. It's a war over the hearts of people. Uh, where uh, the kingdom of darkness has taken up uh, residence and the kingdom of light needs to, to break through. So that's the difference here uh, and uh, into the promised land of, of heaven. Next one. God's people are not supposed to live among, among the nations, but we do. Should we live in small, tight communities? Um, how do we mix properly in the community? Great question. Uh, 
the answer is uh, that uh, some Christian communities do this. So I don't know if it's exactly where this comes from, uh, but there are some closed uh, Christian societies, closed brethren and so on, um, that work uh, really under this sort of principle of not mixing in because of the danger that's involved. Um, and I can understand that to a certain degree, um, but that's not the way biblically that we are supposed to live. Um, we're not supposed to live uh, uh, outside of the world. We're not supposed to take ourselves outside of the world. We're supposed to live in the world but not be of the world. That's the problem. Um, that's the problem. So how do we mix properly in the community? We need to recognise that there is spiritual danger out in the community all the time. We're not walking out into a neutral place. We're walking out into an, a hostile, uh, anti-Christian place. That's what we need to remember. And that, that, that's trying to spiritually affect us to get us to think its way. That's a really important thing for us to remember. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we need each other and that's why we need God's word. That's why we need to meet together and so on. I think that's important. Uh, do you think the Crusaders use this example to justify their Crusades? Uh, and does it make them right? Also, can we please turn on the heating next week? Oh, it was on for a while. <laughs> it was on for a while, but it got turned off. You can't, you can't please everyone. That's all right. I, I, someone turned it off. That's okay. Uh, you can turn it back on again if you want. Um, the Crusaders, I, I don't know exactly whether they use passages like this uh, to do it. Um, like I said, the, 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 uh, the Christian faith, this side of the cross, has never been a, uh, a political and geographical uh, kingdom. That's not the kingdom that we believe. We don't believe that the, the nation of Israel is somehow very important to us. And we must get that nation because that's the only way things can happen. That, that, that's not what we believe. We believe that the kingdom that God is setting up is in the hearts of human beings as he draws people to the Lord Jesus. And so the nature of the battle therefore therefore changes. It's not physical and geographical as it was in the Old Testament. There's no problem with that. It was in the Old Testament physical and geographical. In the New Testament, it is a, uh, a spiritual battle for the hearts uh, of human beings. Uh, and, uh, and that's the way we need to think about it. Did the Crusaders think that? I don't know. I've got no idea whether they thought that way or not um, and why they justified it. Um, uh, we could only surmise and probably go to our historians and work that one out. Um, one thing I do know is that it's not always, it's not always uh, the thing that happens for true Christ Christianity. Uh, it's the same sort of thing that happened in uh, uh, Ireland many years ago. Lots of the fighting that happened in Ireland wasn't necessarily by, uh, uh, by real Protestants or real Catholics, just people that tag themselves as such. Uh, the fellow that's the congregational minister at Engadin grew up in that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, Matthew Murray, he's got a great story about living, and he would say, real, real Christians didn't fight that, those battles. They were just tagged with those tags. So I think the, the Crusades has got some similarity to that as well, uh, where those nations wanted to be belonged to by a Christian nation in some ways. And in lots of ways, these sorts of fights are still happening across the world. Uh, in Africa, it's well known that uh, many of the countries are undergoing civil war. The Sudan was the last uh, well-known one, of course. Uh, between uh, Islamic and Christian forces. Uh, and, and what do you do under those circumstances? It's, it's tricky, isn't it? It's a hard one. Um, do you defend yourself? Do you even attack under those purposes uh, to make sure that this uh, force doesn't come into your area? That's not an easy question uh, to ask with no uh, evidence from God that he's spoken into that place. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in the book of Judges. Please help us to come to you full-hearted, ready to serve you with no compromise, not half-hearted. And we ask this in Jesus' name.